Okay, thank you for being here this morning, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you the praise and the glory. Lord Jesus, the sunrise, the sunlight from on high, we love you and adore you. And Holy Spirit, how we thank you that you take what is printed on the pages of our Bibles and you quicken us to understand and you quicken us to hear your voice. And so we thank you for doing that now. We pray, Father, right now for Israel and for the peace of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we have a lot to cover this morning in John 5. As you recall, last week, we studied in John 4 how Jesus said that we are to worship in spirit, right? And so we're not just going around head knowledge, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of the living God. And we are not people who are just emotionally driven, who get all hopped up if we go to a praise concert or something like that. But we are people who intimately focus on connecting with the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer, and we are mindful, and we read his word slowly so it will be absorbed into our hearts and minds, so we will experience a transformation in our lives and truly, truly be his witnesses. So Jesus models in chapter 5 now, as he does in every chapter, but he models what it's like to be spirit-controlled or spirit-driven, because Jesus is not going to do what he should be doing as a, quote, good Jew, right? I mean, it's just too pronounced when it says, now this was the Sabbath. And we can't say, Jesus, didn't you know it was the Sabbath? Couldn't you have done it the day before? Couldn't you have done it the day after? Did any of you think that? Just Jesus, couldn't you have done it on any other day of the week than the Sabbath? Then there wouldn't have been all this uproar. But Jesus didn't. He is driven by, controlled by God, the Spirit in him. And so, This is what I believe the Lord wants us to take away from every lesson is that is there a need for us to be spirit-controlled women rather than just mom in her flesh, wife in her flesh, worker in her flesh, teacher in her flesh, minister in her flesh, friend in her fleshly nature. No, we need to be spirit-controlled women. Because, as we discussed last week, and I'm reemphasizing this, we have our bodies, but these are the most external part of us. We have our soul that is our mind, our emotions, and our will. But our body is not supposed to control us, so we eat what we shouldn't eat, drink what we shouldn't drink. Our mouths, our flesh, our emotions are not to control us if we're angry, if we're upset, if we're controlling. Our emotions are not to control us. The Holy Spirit of God is to control our minds and thoughts, and then that be displayed out in our words and our actions. Can I hear a big amen for that? Because we as believers have that capacity through the Holy Spirit that the unbeliever doesn't have, and we are to be modeling it. Let's read in chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, and we'll, we won't read all of this, but we'll stop and discuss it, because what we are seeing here at the healing of Bethesda is the third sign that John records of Jesus' divinity. John does not record all of the different signs that other gospel writers record, and it has really piqued my interest in why John chose particular miracles to show and to demonstrate so that we too would believe. It's very fascinating. Pay attention as you're reading 
through these chapters as to why the Holy Spirit would have had John include what he included that perhaps no other gospel writer recorded. At this time, Jesus is into his second year in ministry, all right, just to give you a little uh, frame of reference. And the festival that some commentators have uh, commented, because it doesn't identify it here, they think that it's the uh, Feast of Purim, which is related to what God did on behalf of Israel to save Israel, all right? That was the work that God did. They're at this festival, and now Jesus is going to be doing something to save people from eternal damnation, and they are going to be criticizing him. Verse 1, after these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered. Some of your Bibles may continue with a continuation of verse 3 and verse 4. How many of your Bibles do? How many of you do not have a continuation of those verses? The earliest manuscripts did not include about the angels stirring up the waters. And so that is why it is not included in some of your verses. And most people think that that was not at all the case because that would be pretty cruel if the angel stirred up the waters and then it's like, okay, how many of you sick lame on your market set go? Uh, that, is, that is not characteristic of our Lord God. Uh, we see here in um, this, and I have on the overhead, this is the archaeological dig of uh, Bethsaida. And this word, Bethsaida, means house of mercy. So what a perfect place for Jesus to demonstrate his merciful healing of this particular man. And we don't know how many other people he had already healed at the pool. He may have already healed a thousand other people at the pool. He may have healed 10 more that day. We don't know. John has chosen this one to show us his power. So it doesn't mean he didn't heal others. It didn't mean he did. It just is showing us that this is an example. And I want you to understand also that people used to not think that this was accurate, that there would have been porticos with five columns because that didn't make sense to them until... This uh, archaeologist uh, took people and they excavated and they found this dig. And exactly what John reported is exactly what they found with these porticos. They just, it was actually in 1888. And they actually discovered two pools, a northern pool, a southern pool. And one flowed with living water into the second pool, keeping it purified. So there is just so much and so many different levels that we could go if we had time on the water, 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 as we've discussed, and the healing properties that this particular pool also was said to have had. Perhaps like we have different geysers and different hot springs and different things that can help with healing benefits. They look to this place also as a place of healing. A lot of people say, oh, well, this man was paralyzed. But nowhere in this scripture does it say he was paralyzed. It said he had been sick. And you'll see that in verse 2, him being sick is the first list of ailments that's listed. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick. 
And then we continue in verse 5, and it says, A man was there who had been ill. And then it says in verse 7, The sick man. So if you've had somebody say, Oh, well, this was a paralytic. Uh, it, he may have been a paralytic due to some sickness. But the emphasis here is on him being sick and on him being cured. On him being cured, which in the Hebrew and the Greek here means an actual reversal of the ailment that he had. He had been ill for 38 years, and when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? Did you think that was kind of a funny question to ask somebody? I think it's a great question because I think Jesus might say to some of us today, do you wish to get well? Do you wish to get over your sour attitude? Do you wish to get over your grumpy nature? Do you wish to get over being so controlling? Do you wish to get over having a critical spirit? Do you wish to get over being unforgiving? And if Jesus were to stand before you and sow those words, you and I might have to think, right? Well, I'm so comfortable with my unforgiveness. I'm so comfortable being controlling. I'm so comfortable being bossy. I'm so comfortable with my gossipy tongue. I think the question is an important one for you and me to even think about. Do we really want to be a Holy Spirit-controlled woman? Are we willing to listen to Jesus' words like this man did and think about our lives and think about where, if we really did want to progress, where he could take us and the transformation that could occur in us. The sick man answered him, and I said, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. He didn't need to look to a man, and you and I don't. You and I need to look to the all-powerful, almighty, king of kings, God. And notice, no miracle, no faith on the part of this man was required. He didn't have to believe that Jesus was going to perform a miracle because he didn't even know who Jesus was. This was something that Jesus did in grace at the pool of mercy, and it's exactly what he has done for you and me in saving us from our sins. Immediately, verse 9 tells us, the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. And then there's that. Now, it was the Sabbath. We know something bad's going to come down because of that, and we just, Jesus, why on the Sabbath? They ask him, the legalist, the Jewish legalist, because they had thousands and thousands of laws. Nowhere in the laws did it say so many of the implications of breaking the law that the Jews had devised. As a matter of fact, in Matthew, I'm sorry, in Mark 2, 27, Jesus addresses this. And he said that the Lord was, Sabbath was made for men and not men for the Sabbath. In Matthew, he spoke and he said in 12, 12, as a matter of fact, I want to turn to that quickly because we can be legalistic just like the Jews were and we need to guard against any legalism we may have. 
In Matthew 12, 12, Jesus said, How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. But they wanted somebody being rule followers, not coloring outside the line, not being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Let's continue in looking because we see here that the man who was healed didn't know who it was for Jesus had slipped away and there was a crowd in that place. And afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore. And in the Greek, the verb tense is stop. No more. Don't sin anymore. And then he explains why so that nothing worse may befall you. Friends, Jesus knows the consequences of sin are harmful to us mentally, physically, emotionally. Being angry, being stressful and worrying instead of praying, harboring grudges are all detrimental to our bodies. And he may have had an illness related to some sin. We don't know for sure. We know that all Illnesses are not at all related to sin, and he will explain that in John chapter 9. But in this case, he is, he is giving a strong heads-up warning. Now, would this man be able to never sin again in his life? No. But what the Bible teaches is that we are not to practice sin. And I had written down so many verses on practicing sin. In Micah 2, 1, way to those who devise wrongdoings, who practice evil. Matthew seven twenty three. Then I will declare to them, I never you, knew you. Leave me, you who practice lawlessness. Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 9, As for the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Hebrews five fourteen. Solid food is for the mature who because of practice have trained their senses to distinguish between good and evil. There are so many verses on how we are to practice what the Lord teaches us rather than just be like, well, this is the way I am. This is the way I am and being comfortable in our sin. He says to him, do not sin anymore. That may be our takeaway. Verse 15, the man went away, told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And for this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, my father is working. And I just love that. Friends, I know that Genesis said on the seventh day, God rested, but that didn't mean that he sat down in his throne and never picked up another finger. The example of Esther is one. God is working throughout eternity. And so Jesus says, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. And for this reason, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling his own God, his own father, making himself equal to the Jews. So let's just think for a minute. Jesus, it says, was being persecuted by the Jews. Persecution of God's people, as we know, continues from October 7th just recently, right? The the persecution that Hamas, the terrorist organization in Pakistan, did, the atrocities they did, 
cutting off babies and young children's heads. Can you imagine being a mother and them grabbing your baby and cutting off their head and their little head rolling on the ground before they killed you? There are atrocities that Hamas is doing against the Jews. Satan hates the Jews. Ever since Jesus, I mean, ever since the Garden of Eden, Satan has been trying to bring God's people down. Herod killed so many, all the Jewish baby boys that were born at the time of Jesus, a slaughter. Israel did not start this fight, this this war that's going on. Hamas did it because they have one goal, and that one goal is to kill every Jew. And as Christians, we are not also in their favor because we follow the Jewish Messiah. Persecution continues. They persecuted Jesus because he was healing on the Sabbath, calling God his own father, and making himself equal with God. And I want us to sum up some things very quickly before we continue. We see in verses 1 through 6 that Jesus can do what no one else can do, so stop looking to others for what only Jesus can do. Your bad attitude, your grumpy spirit, your controlling nature is not because somebody else is making you be that way. Verses 7 through 9, Jesus' word is healing. He said the word, so act on it. Act on it. We are to take these scriptures that we're studying home and apply them. The believer is to obey Christ over man. No doubt this man knew that he wasn't supposed to walk with his palate, but he did. And we too are to obey Jesus. In verse 14, we see that Jesus is holy and loves us, and he does not want us to experience the worst consequences of sin. So learn. We need to learn from our past, from our failings, from our sins. And we need to stop practicing that and practice righteousness. We see in 15 through 18 that Christians who do God's work, now there are some Christians who are going to not do God's work, they're going to barely get into heaven and not get the abundance entrance that is being supplied to other Christians, but Christians who do God's work will be persecuted. That is just a fact and it is scriptural. So prepare, do God's work. I want you, my friends, to understand that I believe the time is near and there have been so many knowledgeable newscasters, world leaders, and they are saying what's going on in Israel right now is an existential threat, and it is not going to come to an easy closure. The people, the terrorists who 9-11 did what they did, the atrocities they did, they had, they had passports. They had come into the United States legally, but with vile intentions. And you know today our borders are open and people are being allowed in. I don't care what political party you're with. It's just, it's just, it's a fact. I'm not stating a political issue. I'm just stating a fact. Our borders are open and they know that terrorists have come in. So what is to keep those terrorists who have gone to San Antonio, Houston, New York, Chicago, everywhere else from doing the same thing that they just did, a surprise attack in Israel? 
you and I need to be ready. We need to be strong in where we are standing with the Lord. We need to put away our petty sins. We need to daily pray that we are being controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. We need to be ready in the face of persecution to stand for our faith. And we need to be warning of people. And that's what Jesus did. In verses 19 through 30, he warns that there are two resurrections and that he has the authority to execute judgment. Of course, they did not like that word because only God has the authority to execute judgment. So things are heating up. Things are heating up since Jesus turned that water into wine. You know these passages He says, truly, truly, in verse 19. He says, truly, truly, in verse 24. He says, truly, truly, in verse 25. This is a serious passage. It has to do with the destiny of your soul, my soul, our loved one's souls, the stranger, the cashier that you're going to give that card to. You pray for that person. You don't know if they're a believer or not or if God might be using your hand to give them that card and them be saved. So pray when you give somebody that card that the Holy Spirit will convict them when they read that they might be saved. Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it's something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I am going to be repeating myself, I know. I promise I'm okay. There are not many ways to heaven. There are not many ways to heaven. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through him. 24, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes... Him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and Lazarus certainly did, and those who hear will live, for just as the Father has life in himself. Remember John 1, 4, in him was life. And the life was the light of men, that word Zoe. This is the word that Jesus is using. Even so, he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment. Do you keep hearing the repetition of these words Jesus is using? There is a judgment coming. There is a judgment, and he's going to explain it to us. Verse 28, do not marvel at this. An hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs, garden of memories over here, that cemetery at church, will hear his voice. Think about that. And will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. 
I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Stop there for just a second because we need to understand these judgments. There is a judgment, I mean, resurrections. We need to understand these resurrections. There is a resurrection to life. And you'll find and learn more about it throughout the scriptures. But 1 Thessalonians 4.16 talks about this resurrection of the dead at the Lord's return. Revelation 24 speaks of the resurrection of the martyrs and the Old Testament saints at the end of the Great Tribulation. Study these verses if you don't know them. And I also encourage you, I have a five-part series on my website called End Times, What You Should Know, What You Can Do. And today I posted that the one on the rapture. It's, I think, only a 20-minute video, but it will give you or it will give you something to forward to someone just saying, today's devotional was a great devotional, wanted to share it. And they will see where it says something about the rapture and their interests might be um, raised a little bit. The resurrection of judgment is the second resurrection that he talks about. And that, that is those who have committed evil deeds. It is a resurrection of judgment for unbelievers. And it is the great white throne judgment. And if you're not familiar with it, like I said, you need to be familiar with it. Because Jesus isn't just chatting. In the short period of time he's on earth, he's telling us, he is giving us the heads up what's coming our way for all of us. In Revelation 20, verse 5, it says, The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is referring to the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. This is, this is the wonderful time that the Jews are still waiting for. They didn't expect him to come the first time as a suffering servant. In verses 11 through 13, this is the great white throne judgment. It says in verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things that were written in the books according to the de their deeds. Do you want to be judged according to your deeds? Every bad thing you've ever done or said? No, we don't. But there are people out there who still do not recognize that there is an accountability for our lives and our words and even the intentions of our heart. Verse 14, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Friends, you need to also understand that with the lake of fire, it does not mean life ceases to exist. 
It means it exists in torment. We just dismiss it. We come to church and Sunday school and love having the fellowship of one another, and we should. We should. But we need to get the fire lit in our hearts and minds and spirits to be so fervently praying and thinking of any way we can to share, to put the word out there for somebody who does not know Christ. So we learn that Jesus does what the Father shows him. I love the sign language word for show. You know, my niece is deaf. And for show, it's this. You're saying, okay, this is it right here. I'm showing you. And Jesus is saying, I am showing you. And he says, and I do whatever the Father shows me. So he showed him to heal that man on that Sabbath day. That is a spirit-controlled, Holy Spirit-controlled Messiah. And he is wanting you and me to be spirit-controlled individuals, not looking and leaning on our personalities. No, the only personality we need to be concerned about is the personality of God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. So we need to do what the Spirit and the Word show us. In 21 through 29, we learn Jesus is life, and this is abundant life. This is the heavenly life, and he raises people to either a resurrection of life or judgment. So tell people. Finally, we're not going to touch on this much because it's very self-explanatory. Jesus says, God the Father, John the Baptist, Jesus' works, and Scripture all testify, they all prove he is God's Son. And so we learn that we need to be a part of that team of John the Baptist, of God the Father, of Jesus, and of the Scriptures. We testify out of our lives who we know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to be. We need our own story voicing that testimony. And so here's the question. Will you be a spirit-driven, a spirit-controlled woman who sees people in need of Jesus, like Jesus saw that man, who works where the Father is working, who honors the Father and Jesus, because that's what Jesus said he did, honored the Father. Will you be one who hears and believes Jesus, who seeks the Father's will, not yours? and who has God's word in you like Jesus had God's word in him. Will you be one who has the love of God in you? Read these with me, please, as we close. Out loud. I can be assured Jesus sees me and has good plans for me. I can pick up my pallet and walk. Do whatever Jesus tells me. I can stop practicing sin so nothing worse happens. I can do the work Jesus tells me to do in spite of persecution. I can hear and believe Jesus and be resurrected to eternal life. Praise him. Will you go to Jesus, the house of mercy? Will you stay the course in spite of persecution? Will you record how the Lord has spoken to you today, please, on your listening guide? 
Will you close with me in worshiping Jesus using the descriptions of Jesus on your listening guide? Worship with me as we praise you, O Lord, for coming to earth and saying those words truly, truly, for warning us of the two judgments. Thank you for commissioning us, and not only that, but through your Holy Spirit, empowering us. And now we worship you. You are our healer. Read aloud with me. You are our healer. You are working. You are the Son of the Father, the giver of life. Judge. You are the Son of God. Again, you tell us your judge the Son of Man, and sent by the Father. Lord God, we pray for the peace of Israel, and we pray to be your peacemakers, pointing people to how they can be reconciled to you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for coming today.